You're listening to Bick and the Boss on Sportsnet 650. Once again, 50% of Bick and the Boss is in studio. I know that's not 50 cent. That's 50%. The bad half for most people in the Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650, is Bick Nazar is away for one more day. We eagerly await his return, but... Happy to have back Roger Shergill in the uh, co-host chair. Greg Ballack is the one uh, manning the board and keeping us on time, on uh, focus. And uh, up to date in all things that's going on in the world of sports as things break here. But but guys, I'm going to start, and we'll get to the reads and all the stuff that's coming up on the show in a little bit. But I'm going to start with the fact that, so I roll into the station in the morning and and. As you know, my name's the boss, and it's not just because I have a huge ego, which I do. It's the simple fact that, you know, I run this place. I've worked hard. I've been in the media business almost 30 years. I have a parking space underneath. One spot. You know, it parking is a bit of an issue here, and, and I don't want to bore the listeners with our woes about the parking in the building. No, this isn't about parking. This is about respect, gentlemen. Respect for your elders but also respect for your boss. So I wheel in this morning, and Josh Elliott Wolf, who, who did a fantastic job, double duty, you know, Rintoul and Sermon with Jamie Dodd, Scott Rintoul. He did the morning show, Halford Brough with Joey and Adam Forsyth. But I roll in here to get my uh, work going because I'm an early riser, and, and I, I, I'm always working, always working. And I look, and my parking spot is taken up by none other than Josh Elliott Wolf. Now, listen, I realize he's doing back-to-back shows, guys, but would you ever pull in and take your boss's parking spot just on the off chance? Hey, I know I've been working from home, not always here, but, you know, Josh, I know you're listening. You're in the car going home now. This better not happen tomorrow or I'm towing your ass out of here. This is ridiculous that I come to work, Raja, Greg, and Josh is sitting in my spot. And when I brought it up to him, he just kind of looked at me and said, whatevs, so what? I can't believe Gen, this, guys. Gen Zs, am I right, C-Mac? Yes. Uh, I would never do that to you. I, I know personally I have never done that to you. Uh, that uh, The parking spot situation, I know it's, uh, it's very tough, especially uh, now that everybody is returning back to the building, uh, to take the boss's spot that's uh that's uncalled for you know i'm kind of shocked personally about this you guys because i was under the impression that c-mac was a first on the ice last off the ice kind of guy <laughs> so the fact that he wasn't already here which gave josh this opportunity is what's shocking to me listen i was here for two weeks in the morning yes i got in a little later and, and josh had to be here bright and early to run the board for joey and, and adam and halford and bruff but man, oh man, as, as uh, Don Taylor used to always say to me, kids today, kids <laughs> today, unbelievable. It won't happen again, guys. As I said, I'm, I'm towing him out tomorrow if he if he does uh, slide into my spot. Uh, you are listening to Bick and the Boss. Uh, this show is brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Give yourself the avenue advantage and stay under the cap by saving thousands on select Kubota skid steers and excavators. Visit avenuemachinery.ca. You can chime in on the Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650. I'd like to see Josh chime in with an apology right about now. But he's driving, so hopefully he does that when he gets home. The uh, Dunbar Lumber, the smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Butis in Vancouver or online at DunbarLumber.com. 
Raja, enough of the the parking situation. Let let's let's talk about something really important. And word of you know some Canucks moves, rumors still, but Rick Dollywall as as always on top of things, trying to trying to get the scoops and uh Dollywall suggesting that the Canucks are close to or have or looking at bringing in a new skills coach, a guy familiar to the Lower Mainland. He worked with the Delta Hockey Academy, worked for the Vancouver Giants as well. His son was drafted by the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, Yogi Sevkovsky. How do you how do you pronounce that there, Raja? Uh, I believe it's Sevkovsky. Okay. Yogi we're going to go with, okay? <laughs> y- yes. Um, looks like he could be joining the Canucks. But on a, on a bigger picture level, Raja, in all seriousness, the fact, and we talked about this on this show before, the fact that the Canucks have an HL team about an hour outside of Vancouver and Abbotsford, the connection between the big club and, let's say, the farm, is just a drive now. It's not a flight across country to Utica. It's right there. The ability for this hockey team now to utilize uh, skills coaches, uh, you know, goalie coaches, you name it, those specialized positions that you know hey hockey teams don't have a bucket full of money they can't buy everything or or pay everyone but now it's like a two-for-one deal Roger this is like a two-for-one you you have your skills coach who can help with the big club but also get out to the the farm just because it's a short driveway a a good smart move by the hockey team and and I'm guessing we're going to see more of this sharing of resources as things move along here with training camps just around the corner well, I think so as well. C-Mac will have the opportunity for the Vancouver Canucks and the Abbotsford Canucks to be sharing uh, not only, uh, I guess, coaches or skilled coaches like Ace Fakovsky, but also we've already seen it with the players that they have brought in this year do, that are going to be playing in Abbotsford. Justin Dowling is a local product. Brad Hunt is a, a player that we can expect, I think, to see a lot in the Vancouver Canucks organization and the Vancouver Canucks team. And then also perhaps we might see him uh, down at Abbotsford as well. He is from Maple Ridge. We see uh, Nick Patan getting signed as well. A lot of people know exactly what he can do as you know we've seen him uh, play his junior hockey here as well and that's uh, all the, the, the dividends I guess are already paying off for the Vancouver Canucks bringing in the Abbotsford Canucks close by and and now we're seeing it off the ice as well and, and to your point uh, for the, the executives, Jim Benning, John Weisbrod, uh, uh, whoever else it might be, they're going to be able to go down Abbotsford just 45 minutes away and, and just watch the players as well, really get an understanding of what they are doing right and what they need to work on and, and be able to you know chime in, I guess, on what is or who should be the next player to come up uh, if injuries happen or if somebody isn't playing right. So, you know, we've, we've talked about this a lot, but just another angle of this now is, is the coaching aspect of it that the, uh, that the Canucks were able to, to bring in with Yogi Svekovsky. Yeah, and it shows to me a commitment by ownership at both levels to invest. And, and we always talk about player development. We talk about internal competition, and all that is so very important at the National Hockey League level. So having the, the two cities so close to each other and the shareable resources is is a big thing and i'm guessing roger too yogi's going to get his own parking spot whether that's <laughs> downtown or or out in abbotsford uh, in the dunbar lumber text inbox 650 650 who cares about your parking spot you're right i, I don't care about my parking spot I, I care about the respect 
Uh, Shiloh chimes in. I used to park in the principal spot, so damn right I take your spot, C-Mac. Uh, Mike and Victoria, everyone should par- park in your spot every day. And uh, this one, most everyone has a boss, but how do you guys do it? Mr. Grumpy on the mic once again. Listen, it's not being grumpy, Raj. It's just, it's just telling you kids out there, respect your elders, your boss, and don't park in their parking spot, please. It's it's a little bit old man yelling at cloud vibes, C-Mac. Come on, you got to admit. Shiloh, Shiloh coming in with uh, Craig's showing his privilege again. Where's the where's the violin? Uh, you know, I, I think people, uh, you know, they're all I have to deal with their boss all the time. So with Josh Elliot Wolf coming in, stealing your spot, just giving it to the boss a little bit. You know, I don't I don't think it's uh, all that terrible, C-Mac, the way you're making it out to seem. Yeah, I know. It is old man yelling at Cloud. You're uh, listening to Bick and the Boss here, Sportsnet 650. You're home of the Canucks, uh, Raja Shergill, Craig McEwen. And on the Canucks front, um, Luke Fox was on in the morning uh, with Joey Kenward and Adam Forsythe. And, and listen, in light of what happened with Carolina and Montreal, there was some thought, I won't say panic, but some people might have been panicking, some thought that could this open up uh, an offer sheet for Elias Pettersson considering where he's at. And, and what the Canucks are up against with their cap and, and flexibility and all that sort of thing. So Luke was asked by the boys the this morning, should Canuck fans, and I guess more importantly Canuck management, be um, worried that this could happen and an offer sheet could go Pedersen's way? concerned, but, you know, here we are, the last day of August, and you got your number one centerman uh, without a contract. And I, I think... What's concerning to me is that Vancouver's a little bit vulnerable just in terms of cap space. So if Pedersen were to get so frustrated that he is, you know, asked his agent to go out outside the box and try to solicit offers, um, if he were to get an offer sheet, it would put Vancouver um, in a really compromised position because they're already tight against the cap and that's without having re-signed Hughes or Pedersen, who are supposed to be the two main cogs of what is supposed to be a future contender. So um, they're vulnerable. Uh, but what I would say is that all indications are that Pedersen isn't frustrated. You know, if you think back to Kakanyemi, he was a ticked-off player. You know, he was healthy scratch to begin the playoffs, and he was healthy scratch to end the playoffs. And when he finally scored a goal... In, and was not a healthy scratch in round one against Toronto. He threw up four fingers uh, towards the press box, kind of in solidarity with the other healthy scratches. So he was already kind of signaling publicly that there was a little bit of a rift between him and, and management or him and the coaching staff in terms of how he felt he was handled. There is no sense right now that Pedersen is frustrated with Benning or with how he's been handled by the Canucks, you know, Kakanyemi was has kind of been false started a few times in Montreal. Whereas I think Vancouver knows what they have in Pedersen and they want to get him signed. It's just a matter of what works. Um, so all you know, all quotes from the agent suggest that this is a guy who likes being in Vancouver. Is he going to sign long term? Probably not. It all signs to me point towards a bridge deal with Pedersen, just because I think he has a little more to prove, and I think the team because they're up against the cap, probably can't take on the type of cap hit that would eat up Pedersen's UFA years. So I would expect that a bridge deal gets worked out. Um, but there's no sense of bad blood the way there, there was 
um, kind of lurking behind the scenes with Kakiemi in Montreal. Yeah, and Raja, that's the key point there. There appears to be no bad blood. Listen, we're not in the negotiations. We don't know how things are going. But there have been reports popping up all summer of conversations continuing between the Pedersen and Hughes camp and, and Canucks management. So even the article that was written in Europe about Pedersen, you know, some people took it as, oh, he wants to win, he wants out of here. That's not the case. As far as we know... EP40 is happy, and whether this deal gets done now or right before camp, it appears at least, Raja, that things are moving in the proper direction. Yeah, and, and listen, I don't think a whole lot of people, even fans included with that article that came out a handful of weeks ago, were overly concerned that Pedersen doesn't want to be in Vancouver. I think with last year, what happened, Seamac, in, in, in Elias Pedersen missing 30 games for the Canucks, this is a player that still wants to come back and prove that he could uh, you know, be an even better player than what we've seen in his first couple of campaigns with his Vancouver Canucks team. And listen, last year was obviously a terrible year for the entire team in, in finishing last in the Scotia North Division uh, and and having a, a terrible sort of defense and, and everything just not going their way. And now with the team that's upgraded on paper with the, all the additions that you bring in, I can't see a scenario where Pedersen is, is not looking forward to coming to Vancouver. This is a team I think that has a lot of potential and Elias Pedersen realizes that. I think a lot of players around the National Hockey League realize that. So when it comes to uh, any concerns that people might have about that, that to me... Uh, it, that's not true necessarily whatsoever because this is a player, as mentioned, that has gotten to 66 points before. But I think a lot of people believe, and myself, I include myself in that, is that there's a lot more to give for Elias Pedersen. And he also, I feel like, needs to, uh, does realize that and, and wants to bounce back from that injury riddled campaign last year and come back and, and even stronger and show what he can do. Couldn't agree more with you, Raja. Uh, the- Chime in on the conversation. Dunbar Lumber text inbox 650-650. We'll get to Don't At Me very soon. Lots of parking talk, but we'll we'll save that for a few minutes from now because Luke was also quizzed on the fact of, hey, should there be any panic here in Canuckville if uh, Pedersen and Hughes are not signed by training camp? Yeah, I would say it's full-on panic, but I'd say there's concern if they don't show up at training camp. Um, You know, we usually see this uh every every fall there there seems to be one or two cases where a guy misses the first day of training camp or a week of training camp but that's kind of the next pressure point um you know uh until then like what's the difference between today and a week from now nothing really um you know it, it kind of takes the pressure of a deadline for the sides to to buckle down and and get into action otherwise it, it comes up becomes a bit of a a waiting out period or like a game of chicken. But if a guy doesn't show up for training camp, that's a signal that, um, you know, he's willing to, to take it to the next level. You know, I, I think of uh, William Nylander, which was a massive story when he was an RFA here, here in Toronto. And the fact that not only did he sit throughout training camp, but he missed a, a good chunk of the regular season and didn't sign until the absolute drop dead, dead date. Um, which was December 1st. Uh, and at that point, if you don't have an NHL contract, you can't play in the NHL that year. So that would be, um, you know, the ultimate panic type pressure point is if it goes into the season. But I think for both sides, the smart deal is to get it worked out, even if it's the, the night of training camp. Because, you know, you don't want to have first day of camp, 
you know, Canucks, non-playoff team, fresh start, here we go. And all the talk is, where's Pedersen or where's Hughes? Um, it becomes a massive distraction. The other players have to answer questions about it. Um, it puts pressure on management. And this is a, a group that has gone to great lengths to try and, you know, get rid of some bad money, get in Oliver ekman Larson, get some excitement going, make the, the trade for Connor Garland. And all those positive moves will be undercut if, the, if day one of training camp, the, uh, the headlines are where's Hughes or where's Pedersen. So I'm going to say, Raja, these two guys will be here for camp. Everything will set up nicely, and the, the Canucks will have a much better season. Am I too optimistic? I don't, I don't believe that you're too optimistic. I, I do think, however, that you need to start to perhaps prepare that there are going to be question marks uh, and a lot of questions thrown towards Jim Benning and company uh, if Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes aren't there for the opening day of training camp. Because I, I do think that's obviously as, as the calendar flips to September, those are very much real possibilities. That being said, there's still a lot of time left. There's still about two or three weeks remaining before we get to that point. And listen, what did we see in this market a couple of seasons ago? Brock Besser not being there for training camp. I think he comes in the final day of the of the preseason, if my memory serves me correctly. And and look, he came back the next year. There was no bad blood and, and had a terrific campaign with the Vancouver Canucks. And, and this past season, Besser was probably their best forward. So we've seen these kinds of situations play out and the, the two sides are able to just put it behind them and, and move forward. And it's the same thing with William Nylander in Toronto that Luke Fox was mentioning. Perhaps there's some bad blood there between the fan base and, and, and Nylander, but not necessarily the organization. And I don't suppose that there's going to be any sort of bad blood between the uh, fan base here in Vancouver with Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes because of how important they truly are to this team. So even if it does go into training camp, and again, I mentioned it, we do need to perhaps start bracing ourselves for a situation like that to happen. I still don't think that there should be too much concern that they won't be there for the start of the regular season. Well, it's 20 minutes after the hour. Raji, you know what time it is. It's uh, time for Don't At Me. Your takes uninterrupted. Raja, lots of people for me on this parking rant. Lots of people against me. Against me. So I'm going to start with uh, Marcus in uh, Gibson's. Don't at me. Uh, C-Mac's having a seniors moment. He's like, <laughs> how does C-Mac lose his parking spot? Doesn't he have a senior sign hanging over his mirror? <laughs> so I, I get one of the special spots is what he's saying. Yeah, see, Mac, perhaps you overslept. That's why Josh Lee Wolf was able to come in there and just take over that spot. You know, you've got a pretty uh, prime prime time spot too. It's got it's got good you've got good real estate uh, in the parking garage here at Sportsnet. Uh, you're not blocked off by any other cars. You're not blocked off by any pillars. So perhaps that's why Josh Lee Wolf took advantage. Seniority, buddy. Seniority. This one from Minor Matt. Don't at me. Josh Elliott Wolf absolutely needs to apologize to C Mac for stealing his parking stall. However, I don't think. It needs to be a written or public apology. A song request of Brenda Lee's "I'm Sorry" should suffice. So yeah, we we, we need uh, Greg Ballack to find the 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 "I'm Sorry" and and this from uh, Blue Line Bar Down. C Mac 
just whines all the time. Why is it every time I tune in, you're whining about something, C-Mac? Shall I play My Heart Will Go On by Celine Dion for you? So a couple of creative song requests there. But you know what, Raja, the one I really like, and this is like, you know how you have old man strength, they call it? You know, you young kids are, you know, big and, and that, but you get old man strength. Leaf Hater Steve saying that I have old man strength. Don't at me. I'm 55, married for 30 years with two sons and two grandkids and work 65 plus hours a week. You park in my spot, you're going to have a real bad day. Preach, buddy. Preach. I totally agree with that. The key there is you have to work 65 hours a week (laughs) to command that kind. Yes. Yeah, I might have said 65 a day, but that's more impressive. (laughs) He's always working, Leaf Hater Steve. Marcus and Gibson's don't at me. C-Mac, you're always too optimistic, but in this market, that's a pretty good thing. Well, yeah, I suppose so. I, I don't know if a lot of the people uh, like to hear that uh, you being as optimistic as you are, C-Mac, but I think you balance it out with the take that you had today with uh, Josh Elliott Wolf. I have. And and listen, I, I go both sides. And this one from uh, Joshua and Langley, a.k.a. a boss without a parking spot, Uh, Don't at me. Treat people better. Respectable bosses should always try and make themselves equal to their team. Take your extra money, sure, but a parking space are for elitists. Park where your team parks, C-Mac. So are we saying Josh Elliott Wolf is an elitist? No, no, he's called me the elitist for taking uh, uh, the spot. And and Josh was trying to be the elitist this morning, the big big shot. You know, probably what, what I probably didn't realize working at home for a little bit is he he did this a lot came in here and laughed at you guys said hey i'm in the boss's spot i'm sure i I can attest to that yes i've definitely seen that uh his vehicle in your spot more than once on on more than one occasion (laughs) christian in new s don't at me that's a fireable offense if an employee took my spot after being asked not to i'd let him go what other direction can they follow they're gonna blow it all the time I think the key to that, C-Mac, is you have to be a full-time employee, no? <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, so true, buddy. So, so very true. Um, yeah, th- this is uh, this is really getting people fired up here uh, in the Dunbar Lumber text inbox. Please continue your submissions uh, for us. I know uh, Scott uh, Rintoul suggested that uh, Greg Ballack was uh, the John Olrude of, of our crew here, you know, putting in a solid effort. He does come in with a helmet on, by the way, too. He wears that uh, batting helmet. Remember Olrude doing that? I always, I was always curious, like, what, what's, why is that guy doing that? There's a story to that. He, he had a brain tumor. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know there was. But at the beginning, you're like, why is he trotting out there with a batting helmet it on? It looks a little weird. Yeah, it does look a little weird. Uh, still lots more to come here on the program. We will talk more hockey as the uh, day progresses. But up next, it's uh, some NFL football. Paul Glant from Seattle will join us. We'll talk a little Seahawks. It's cut down day in the National Football League. And uh, Cam Newton looking for work. We'll dive into that and a whole lot more here on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. You're listening to Bick and the Boss on Sportsnet 650. Great call, Minor Matt. And that was Josh Elliott Wolf on the phone, Greg Ballack told me, singing, serenading, saying he's sorry for ripping off my uh, parking space today. Uh, we'll get to some football in a second with Paul Glant from Seattle. But Raja, a little uh, don't at me overtime. Uh, this one, uh, don't at me. There could be a toppling of the government coming. Craig having his spot taken is a strong message for the boss. Are you guys going to, you know, overtake 
the throne here, Raj? Is this is this what this is? The start of the end? This is a yeah. This is a plot from uh, Josh Elliott, Wolf, and I. He throws the first shot, and then uh, you know when you're not looking, see Mac, you just gotta be aware for me. Uh, be aware of me. The two young guys at this station taking over. <laughs> yeah, you guys can have it. Actually, <laughs> I, I'll step down. I'll 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 move along and. Uh, from Rick in Calgary, Dunbar Lumber, text inbox 650-650. I'll go out to my, my homestead. He suggests that Josh Elliott will thought that C-Mac was working from the mansion instead of the office this morning. Yeah. You know what? He he probably did because that's what he's been doing. Like we mentioned at C-Mac, all, all pretty much throughout the entire pandemic. It's been uh, Josh Elliott Wolf taking your parking spot. So pretty much he believes it's actually his. It's not even yours. Yeah, I, I can see that with him. He He has that in him. I, yeah. No, actually, he's he's a good kid. Uh, this uh, don't at me from Trucker James uh, suggesting that, you know, don't at me, respect your elders, which I, I totally agree with. Never, never park in the boss's spot. If for no other reason, then you should never bite the hand that feeds you. In other words, rather than annoying the boss, go the extra distance to keep them happy. Smart, smart words of wisdom right there. Very smart words. Yeah, especially for, uh, you know, the young Josh Elliott Wolf can learn something from Trucker James. Yeah, and and listen, for those of you who missed it, yes, I was whining, complaining, bitching, moaning, because Josh, when I showed up this morning for work, bright, bright and early, and he beat me here. He was doing the morning show, double duty, yeoman's work. He was in my parking spot. And I guess there's a, there's a point to be made. Sorry, Steve. There's a point to be made that if he comes in before the boss, he's waking up earlier before the boss, he's perhaps working harder, dare I say it, than the boss. Does he not deserve it? What do you mean working harder than the boss? Just because he got here earlier than me doesn't mean he's working harder than me. I'm here way later. He's already left the building. So he beat me in by a couple hours. I can guarantee you it's going to be dark when I leave this building today. That's why I need my spot, Raj. I, I'm scared of the dark. <laughs> I'm sorry, C-Mac. You know what? I feel like I'm I'm on Josh's side, but uh, you know we got to stick together, Josh and I. Yeah, I, I would too. He's the co-host of Sportsnet tonight, Josh Elliott Wolf and myself. Yeah, you you guys do do a good job, and yeah, that's all you're going to be working nights if you keep stealing spot. <laughs> uh, Paul Glant joining us from Seattle to talk a little football. And Paul, like, would you ever take your boss's parking spot? Like, just waltz in, act like you own the place. <laughs> you know, just I, I show up for work early this morning. And listen. Josh was doing the morning show. I, I appreciate that. He was probably here at 5.30 in the morning. I got in just before 7. My spot's taken. I'm like, kid, what are you doing? And he just looks at me, yeah, whatevs. Well, do you have plausible deniability in this situation? Not like, really because it's a I small lot. I it's the yeah. boss's spot. Does it say clearly marked? Boss's spot. You actually, you raise an interesting point because in the Dunbar Lumber text inbox six fifty six fifty, that was raised. Is it marked? And actually, you're right. No, it isn't marked. But come on, you you uh, know where the bar, boss parks. Uh, well, I don't know. I don't know about that one. If it's not marked, man, it's free game at least in my book. But that is just my humble opinion. I don't know the ins and outs of this parking lot, which uh, I like that it's creating a little drama, though. Yeah, it is. Uh, speaking of drama. Boy, were you surprised to see Cam Newton get uh, cut this morning? Yeah, I was. I was surprised by that. Um, you know, like, they were making it seem like the Patriots were going to run into the season with him as the starter, and, and it felt like they were bending over backwards to make him look good. I would specifically point to that moment in um, where, you know, they kind of fell on the sword for him after that, COVID-19 misunderstanding and then all of a sudden they decided to go in a different direction but if you've been watching the Patriots over the last calendar year 
from a football perspective, it makes all the sense in the world. They really were a very limited offense with Cam Newton. They couldn't throw the football. His shoulder is not one, uh, not what it once was. And while he did have a good preseason, he did have a good training camp. This is Bill Belichick. He is the most cutthroat person in the industry. And if he feels that that quarterback is better than Cam Newton, then he's going to move on. And I think there's probably some questions about whether or not Cam Newton would have been great as a backup. Might have been a little bit awkward if you're supplanting him already in week one. You're not giving it like four or five weeks or something like that. Is he going to embrace that backup role? You know, he's a guy who has even said that if you, you know, if you enjoy losing, if you're not a sore loser, then, I mean, I don't know what to say to you. So I'm intrigued. Um, Mac Jones has looked good this preseason, but uh, definitely going to be difficult, especially stepping in for a job that is still not that far removed from Tom Brady with a lot of people that have those expectations up there. Well, a lot of people are pointing towards the fact that uh, Cam Newton being unvaccinated has a lot to do with this decision by Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots. What kind of a message is that going to send other players across the National Football League that also choose not to get the job? Uh, well, you know, I think it's only going to apply to the Patriots situation. Uh, there might be some other teams that look at that and say, well, this is a way that we can take care of some of these p- potential issues. And just speaking about it from a strictly football perspective, I mean, if you're not available to play, then what good are you to your team? So if you're a quarterback, you don't want to all of a sudden end up being out for uh, a couple of days. We obviously saw how bad Brian Hoyer was as a backup for the Patriots last year in that game that uh, took place was it on a Monday or a Tuesday, uh, whatever the case. They didn't look good in that game, and it was because they did not have Cam Newton available. So if there's some questions about that, I'm sure that that might have been a factor, but I don't think that was the ending, um, the the ultimate determinant of what the decision uh, was going to be. Now, you're in a city where Russell Wilson came in as a rookie and maybe wasn't expected to get the starting job, did, and wasn't too long thereafter. You know, you got a Super Bowl, but there was – Kid gloves taken with Russ early on. You know, the, the offense was simplified. Mm-hmm. Do you see a similar situation in New England with Mac Jones that they're going to have to keep this a bit vanilla for him? You know what? I don't know about that. With the way that they have at the very least been talking about him to this point, I feel like there's a pretty good chance that they feel Mac Jones can run that offense maybe a little bit better and more closely to what they were doing with Tom Brady and Josh McDaniels not too long ago. Uh, clearly they they think highly of him and with cam it was just different i mean they were more of a power running kind of attack where cam newton was going to run the football they're going to hand it off a little bit so obviously it's going to be a pretty steep learning curve for any rookie quarterback but that situation is about as good for a rookie quarterback as you're going to have you got a really good offensive line you if they're healthy have two tight ends and john smith and hunter henry who are pretty good they don't have the best wide receiver core but they do have a pretty deep stable of running backs to the point that they felt comfortable trading Sony Michelle away to the Los Angeles Rams. So I, I would say as far as all the rookie situations in the NFL uh, with possible rookie quarterback changes, the Patriots and the 49ers, the, you know, th- those quarterbacks, if they eventually step in, we'll see obviously with Trey Lance, but Mac Jones is going to go in there from week one. I, I feel like they're, those guys are going to have just every single possible way to succeed. We'll see if it actually happens. Paul Glant, our guest, uh, Sports Talk Radio host in Seattle. Paul, when you look at uh, the situation with the Seattle Seahawks, what is the latest surrounding uh, and, and do you expect that we will see him in week one? That's a great question. You know, they acknowledged his holdout. And as someone who covered him when he was in Houston, this is a guy who has sat out games before to make a point known. It was a different situation in Houston because he had some issues with the owner. And right before the trade actually happened, 
said owner, Bob McNair, um, who has passed away since, made some comments that rubbed him and pretty much the entire team the wrong way when talking about the reaction to Colin Kaepernick taking a knee. He said inmates can't have them running the prison, and a lot of players took issue with that comparison. So it was a different situation then. I'd say this for Dwayne Brown. I I, I feel like it's in the Seahawks' best interest to do something. We have heard talks that at the very least they perhaps are willing to put some sort of sweetener on the table so that Brown would play this the coming final year of his contract. But outside of that, uh, an extension, which honestly I think would make sense, just given that the Seahawks don't really have a way to get a good left tackle, a starting caliber left tackle in the near future, because teams don't want to trade him, and they don't have a first-round pick next year either because of the Jamal Adams trade. I feel like Brown's got some leverage here. So the Seahawks should do something about it. (laughs) You do not want to have multiple weeks when you've got a quarterback who already gets 40 uh, sacks 40 times a season with an extra game on the schedule, if you're without Dwayne Brown, you are asking for some trouble on the blind side. Yeah, and you're also asking for Russell Wilson to, um, let's just say, probably not be so happy with, with what that situation is. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, you know, <laughs> listen, you, you, we can all – I have my opinions, I have my thoughts, but you know, when you're when your star quarterback, doesn't matter, you know, who he is or what he is, when he wants something like this, especially with the team they have, the division that they're in is so tough, you cannot fall behind in that division. There's no way you're catching up. I would suspect, don't you, that Russ would would at least be in there saying, "Hey guys, like, let's hurry this thing along and let's get it done." Oh, yeah. And he already he already sort of has indirectly. It's been funny. He's been talking about I guess, restructuring his contract and and, and through his agents, we saw that put out publicly that he would be willing to restructure his contract to help Wayne Brown out. But honestly, him restructuring his contract, it has no bearing on whether or not. Good PR boy, though. Russ is all about the PR, buddy. Yes, yes. Oh, he's he he is all about image and he is really smart with how he conveys that image. The reality is, as he would say, he loves to say the reality is, the Seahawks' offensive line has gotten better this offseason because they added Gabe Jackson and in the past year because they simply played a little bit better last season than they had been the year before. They've obviously got some issues on the interior, and we'll see if Kyle Fuller, who's now the uh, Seahawks' starting center, and instead of Ethan Postick, who's missed most of camp with a hamstring injury, we'll see if he ends up being an upgrade on the interior. Um, look, he, he's got what he needs. And if, if he can't make this work, they added a fast wide receiver, D. Eskridge, in the second round, and it was great to see him on Saturday night in the Seahawks' third preseason game finally take the field. He looks really fast. He's got all the weapons in the world. And, you know, the, the, I, I feel like he's going to be able to get it done with this offense. The question is, is he going to be able to do it for 17 games in a row, or is he going to have some of the similar issues in the last couple of games of the season that he had not just this past season but the year before too? Paul Glant joining us, Sports Talk host from Seattle. Uh, the Seahawks, it's cut down day. Every team making move, as we mentioned about Cam Newton. Uh, they uh, get rid of cornerback uh, John Reed, bringing him in from Houston and now change it up. Is that the biggest glaring weakness with this football team as a secondary, that they're just trying to patch this thing together and figure it out? Yeah, I think cornerback is, is definitely a question. I mean, this is a team that has made the most out of all sorts of corners that they've drafted in the back of the draft. Take a look at Richard Sherman. I mean, that's a past fifth-round pick, among others. They've also gone about it in a way where they don't, outside of when they tried to make things work with Kerry Williams, don't traditionally spend big on a quarterback. They wanted to bring back Shaquille Griffin, who signed with the Jaguars, but 
he went a little bit over their asking price. So they have been doing over the entirety of the Pete Carroll and general manager, John Schneider era, a really good job of, I think, getting the most out of cornerbacks. But I think it stands to reason that it's, it's not a guarantee that they're still able to do it in the same way that they used to. And I would look specifically at outside cornerback because right now you got a guy in DJ Reed who played really well at the end of last season, but is undersized. And they were going up against some crappy quarterbacks down the stretch last season. And then on the other side of things, we don't know who it is. It could be Akella Witherspoon. It could be Trey Flowers. It could be, you know, perhaps um, uh, it could be Trey Brown, a rookie that they drafted in the fourth round. Like, there are definitely options for them, but I don't know that any of those options are doing what Pete Carroll's defense needs to have happen, which means that they have to be able to play man and, and stick with a wide receiver, but they also can't let anything get over the top of them. So with that in mind, I am very curious to see if this um, – cornerback group that they have together right now is going to be able to be better than the ones that we've seen over the last couple of years. But based off the last couple of years, they haven't been very good. They've been, you know, middle of the pack at best. Paul Galanter, guest sports talk radio host out of Seattle. Uh, Paul, I want to switch things over and talk about uh, the National Hockey League with the Seattle Kraken getting set to make their debut in the NHL. Yeah. Uh, the, the team, obviously, uh, perhaps some people were a little underwhelmed by the team that they selected, but what's the vibe like out of the fan base in Seattle and the people that, uh, that will be covering the team uh, with what the Kraken did? I know I'm excited. I also know that I'm going into it. I, I haven't lived in the city with hockey in a really long time. You know, I grew up in Boston, and I remember hockey then. I lived in Tampa Bay during the Lightning's first Stanley Cup title way back in, like, 2004. It has been such a long time. I'm really excited to have it back because it's the best sport to watch in person. It's not even close. And it's just a different sport where there's a little bit more, I don't know, uh, maybe it's even cut down a little bit with all the fighting and stuff that's, that used to take place in the sport. But people are really excited about this team. I don't think people have the biggest expectations, and honestly, I don't think they should. And, you know, as you said, this draft, not exactly the most whelming. It makes some moves that are intriguing at the very least, but at this point in time, you're looking at them as, you know, one of those teams that is hopefully just going to be somewhat entertaining and more so in person going to bring hockey to this city, which I, I feel like they're going to like it a lot. Um, but, uh, yeah, long way to go, I think, before they uh, win their first Stanley Cup since, what was it? The city won in uh, 1917, 1918, or something like that. They had these goofy Christmas-looking sweaters. I think they were called the Seattle Metropolitan. <laughs> um, I don't know why they ripped off the New York Mets name, but whatever. Um, it's exciting to have hockey in town. And I think, too, in, in some ways, the Vegas expansion you know, puts people's mind, hey, if they did it, we can. I, I don't get that sense right. either with this hockey team right at the moment. But when you think of a rivalry between Seattle and Vancouver, and listen, you, you can't have it in football because there's CFL up here, NFL down there. Uh, basketball, the Grizzlies suck so bad, and then you know the Sonics, too bad they left because they should have stuck around. But Seattle and soccer between the Whitecaps and Sounders is very good. Do you get the sense that that's going to be a fun, playful thing? And we, we've seen some stuff already from the Kraken and, the, and their team on, well, on Twitter. It certainly could be. I, I mean, I would just base it off of this. We, we get a little annoyed when Blue Jay fans come to town for Mariners-Blue Jays games because they generally 
are populating half the stadium. I actually went to a couple of those games, and I know since the border's closed, maybe it's a little bit uh, more difficult for people to get to the game. But absolutely. I, I think the only way, though, that y- you guys are going to have to play your part by you know, coming down here and perhaps being a little, I don't know, polite <laughs> and just reminding them, oh, yeah, we're playing hockey now. And, <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> you know, the way, the way that y'all Canadians do it. So I, I, I feel like I think it's going to be fun. I, I um, personally, um, you know, going back to – um, when I was watching the Boston Bruins playing the Vancouver Canucks back in those finals back in the day, I, I thought that team was particularly unlikable. <laughs> and I'm sure you guys thought the same thing about Boston. No, um, no, we didn't. We loved the Bruins coming in here and waltzing around with the Stanley Cup on our home rink. Yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> yeah, Brad Marchand, a real class act, that guy. Yes. So, um, uh, you know, obviously there's going to be plenty of time. The team has to be good and for it to really, I think, yeah. legitimately be a rivalry. But it's it's great that there is a hockey team within three hours of here that we can at least build some sort of perhaps rivalry with. But obviously, like all things, it takes time. It takes important games between the two teams. But whatever the case, certainly cool to have now a second hockey team in the area. Yeah, I know. It's awesome. And, and you're right. It, it's a playoff series that usually sparks something. Uh, you, you saw yeah. the Canucks – even when they would play the Bruins years after, and even still, there's there's that oh, yeah. lingering hate uh, for it's Boston. It's great that it's yeah. still lingering all these Ten years, years later, later. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. It's nuts. Listen, Paul, really appreciate the time. Thanks so much for uh, joining us, and we'll have to do it again sometime soon. That sounds great. Y'all, y'all have a good one. Excellent. Uh, Paul Glantz, Seattle Sports Talk host uh, down there in the Emerald City, talking some football and also uh, Raja Kraken Canucks. I do believe, like, the traveling road show, the most troubling thing will probably be, A, the border. But let's let's take that out of the equation, and maybe there's a way of either flying down or the border opens up, let's hope. But getting tickets is going to be difficult. But I would get the sense that there's going to be more than a few roadies with some Vancouver hockey fans going down there, and, and probably vice versa, Kraken fans coming up here, that at the very least it's going to be some uh, playful entertainment uh, between the two groups. I think it's going to be great to see back a, a full-on sports trip to, you know, if you get down there, maybe the Seahawks are in action during that weekend as well, and you get to watch a football game, you get to watch uh, the Canucks take on the Kraken while you're down there as well. It just makes for a great overall weekend, potentially. Uh, and, and I know this year uh, for the Vancouver Canucks and the Kraken matchup, one of their contests is on January 1st. Uh, and I do believe that's a weekend this year. So you can already imagine the potential uh, celebrations and the amount of uh, people hanging out uh, downtown Seattle that will be making their way uh, from Vancouver there if obviously the borders, as mentioned, are all opened up by then. Um, so, you know, just from a pure sporting uh, weekend standpoint, I think it's going to be great and gives you uh, a lot more options than you had before. Yeah, this in the Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650 uh, 650-650, this radio station needs to do a listener trip with Seahawks and Kraken weekend. Uh, that would be an outstanding road trip, and if I'm not mistaken, there is a Monday nighter following a Saturday night game uh, with the Canucks and, and Kraken to, to kick off the year there. So that would be a good trip. We, we took one to Vegas years ago in year one. That rink was incredible. Being there, seeing that experience, that seeing the Canuck fans, seeing the 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 fans of Vegas go nuts as well. I, I can only imagine how electric and exciting it's going to be to watch a hockey game in Seattle. Good or bad, whether the team wins or not, that experience of being there to start is going to be something super super special. Yeah, and you know Vancouver, we've talked about it for a long time. We don't really have a rivalry with the Vancouver Canucks here too much, right? I mean, 
traditionally, I guess, it's been the Calgary Flames, the Edmonton Oilers. But in recent years, that hasn't really been all that great. Chicago Blackhawks, we know as well, it's it's died down from what it used to be about a decade ago. So to have that natural geographic rival now and just a three-hour drive down the I-5, uh, it's going to be great, C-Mac. It, it will be friendly up until the point that these two teams meet in the playoff series. Then that's or, really, yeah. like you mentioned the Flames and Canucks, those playoff battles. That's what really set the tone. The, the Blackhawks, Canucks, that's the thing in my mind that um, really sets the tone and, and kind of starts what is maybe kind of a friendly back and forth into something that gets a little bit more serious and intense. No, yeah, you're totally right about that. That's that's really what's going to propel it, and, and we might have to wait a couple of seasons for for it to really take off. But at the same time, you never know if it's a you know a, a big hit or something like that. Remember, we saw the the Mike, the Mike Matheson and Elias Pettersson fallout from a couple of years ago, and how Canucks fans were pissed off at Florida, and that was unfortunate because you had to wait six months to see the Canucks play the Panthers again, or whatever it was, three to four months for the Canucks to play the Panthers again. You're going to be playing the Kraken four times, so you never know. All it could take. Is is you know something to happen where uh, the fan bases uh, don't start uh, or start having a real hate for each other uh, on Twitter as well, and then that's going to carry on over to the actual rinks. Yeah, I can't wait. And of course, the Canucks' first preseason game is against the Kraken in Spokane, so that's a neutral site. Roger, it should be it should be all right on that one. Uh, lots more to come here on Pick and the Boss, Craig McEwen and Roger Shergo on Sportsnet 650. We will uh, dive into a little championship matchup next the gold medal game at the women's world championships yes it's canada u.s but uh, hey canada got the better of the states the last time can they do it again we'll dissect that when we return here on your home of the canucks sportsnet 650 now back to bick and the boss on the official home of the canucks Sportsnet 650. Yes, Bick and the Boss, brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Give yourself the avenue advantage and stay under the cap by saving thousands on select Kubota skid steers and excavators. Visit avenuemachinery.ca. We heard the update there from uh, Marcus Fitzgerald. And Raja, I'm, I'm curious. Like, if I tell my kids not to do something, they're probably going to do it, I guess, unless I go full nuclear at home. And, you know, I'm, I'm telling Josh Elliott Wolf to not park in my spot again. I, I'm half expecting him to show up in, in my spot tomorrow and fair play to him because I guess it isn't actually, you know, have, have a name on it. But in this golf world with DeChambeau and telling the fans they can't chant Brooksy, do you not just think that's going to make the fans chant more and more and more or 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 some other thing like his first name and 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 find a sneaky way around it like talk about lighting a flame and, and getting people fired up well that's what Bryson DeChambeau does Bryson DeChambeau has been the the quote-unquote bad guy the heel when it comes to golf for the last number of years and and personally I like it because uh, you know it's kind of a boring sport like I'm a big fan of watching it but in general you don't get a whole lot of uh you know controversial I guess moments out of the world of golf and and when you have a character like Bryson DeChambeau who says that uh and the rivalry of course that he and Brooks Kepka have 
had over the last little while, I think that it's actually pretty good for the sport. And sure, uh, Bryson DeChambeau comes across as uh, a little bit of a, a baby, I guess, in this situation. But overall, I think it's actually pretty good for the sport of golf. And uh, to have their rivalry, I guess, take uh, to another level, uh, that's also very good as well. And, and look, Obviously, DeChambeau was very upset at the fact that he couldn't get it done in the BMW Championship, had a number of opportunities, C-Mac, to put it away, but just unable to do so. So a little bit of frustration there as well. Yeah, maybe this is a PR ploy by golf to say, hey, don't do this, but really, we kind of want you to do it because it's going to look good on, on television when they start serenading DeChambeau again. You know, it reminds me of how the Rangers fans will just start chatting, Potvin sucks. I mean, Dennis Potvin <laughs> hasn't played for years, but they'll chime in. Uh, last segment, we had some Kraken and, and Hawks talk. Tambir in the Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650. Love the Hawks, Kraken talk. We're going to take over their city when games begin. And, yeah, we, we mentioned that. The, the excitement and the anticipation of seeing the Canucks play a, a geographic rival, kind of like the Whitecaps and Sounders, it could make for some very interesting viewing for sure. This is a fully interactive show, as mentioned. The Dunbar-Lumbertext inbox is always open, 650-650. But, Raja, there's a pretty darn big hockey game uh, happening this evening. Uh, Canada yesterday. Speaking of rivalries. Yeah, Canada yesterday uh, picking up a big four nothing semifinal victory over Switzerland. Uh, Melody Daou, um, she picked up a couple of goals and hoping that she can help Canada to do something that they haven't done a lot of at the Worlds. I mean, the U.S. has won five straight. They're looking for their sixth gold medal at the Worlds. Uh, the Americans, you know, have, have won nine of the last ten World Championships. There was a time where Canada dominated this event, but what's different this time around, if you look at things, in my opinion, is the fact that this Canadian team has some youth, and, and maybe they're, they're not, you know, ignorance is bliss, and maybe that, that youth is helping them rise and we saw it in the first meeting between these two countries Canada just handed the U.S. their lunch it was physical it was chippy and you have to wonder how this game is going to go uh Sandra Prusini uh of uh our sister station in uh Calgary was on with uh, Joey and Adam this morning on Halford and Bruff and she was raving about how Canada looks right now at this tournament hundred percent I haven't seen them look this good probably in over a decade and just watching them night in and night out I took a look last night something that I was really curious was they, they boasted this team depth they continue to talk about it and the integration of these rookies there's eight players who are making their world debut on this Canadian roster and I thought to myself why is this team working so well and it's because they're rolling four lines. And you look at their time on ice, particularly for the forwards, nobody is on for a ship longer than 45 seconds. So even if they're deep in the offensive zone, if they're on a four check, if they're on a power play, they peel back for a line change. So they have the freshest bodies taking part in that next play. And I think that is so evident with this team. Everybody is bought in. Yeah, Raja, it sure showed that everyone had bought in in the first matchup between these two countries. But with a gold medal on the line, you know the U.S. is going to be looking for revenge. I can't wait for the puck to drop on this one. 
I think, of course, the gold, the the United States will definitely be looking for revenge. But at the same time, Canada is looking for revenge too, right? At the same time, CMAC, like a preliminary round victory, as great as it is to beat the United States in anything, uh, especially in hockey, especially when they have been dominating for so long. The preliminary round victory felt good, but this is a big one. This is the matchup that you really want to win. And, and as Canadian hockey fans, I know that in, in whatever level of hockey it is, they don't want to be losing to the Americans, right? Uh, especially here in Vancouver, where like Canucks fans know there's some teams that you just don't want to lose to. You don't want to lose to the Bruins. You don't want to lose to the Maple Leafs. And as Canadians, we can definitely tell that we do not want to lose to the United States. And in the women's game, uh, it has been going in favor of the United States for a long time. So yes, the United States obviously will be coming out and trying to get that, uh, uh, trying to get that revenge from the preliminary round matchup when Canada just absolutely dominated that contest came away with a 5-1 victory uh but as mentioned team canada is, is looking for a much bigger prize than just a preliminary round win and that's to get that gold medal to get that world championship once again under their belt uh and and get some revenge from the past uh from the past tournaments and also from the olympic games in 2018 in pyeongchang as well so they can get back to having that gold medal around their neck yeah, and it would be great to see. You You wonder if fatigue plays a little bit of a factor with back-to-back games here on back-to-back days. But let's be honest, the emotion, the intensity, the incitement, that should carry the way for both of these countries. And and Sandra was you know asked about what type of matchup do you expect to see this evening? To be honest, it's really tough to say because when they faced the Americans a few days ago and won 5-1, it was physical, it was very defensive on the Canadian part, and it was very fast on the Canadian part. To me, the wild card is the Americans. What have they learned from that loss to the Canadians? We all know they're going to be amped up. There's no way that they want to lose today. They want a six-peat. But this is in the hands of the Americans because, to me, they've shown some kinks. And yeah, I know that they blew out Japan, but I thought Alex Cavallini was not the sharpest in goal. They probably turned to Nicole Hensley between the pipes today, but I just think it is leaky a little bit on that American blue line. So for the Canadians, they can expose that, and I think they can take advantage. It's going to be Canada on the counterattack and making the Americans pay for their mistakes. Sandra Prusina. I kind of, Raj, I didn't have the name in front of me, and, and I, I reachioized that a little bit the first time I threw to her. I, I put, put Prasini there. Going Italian. Riccio <laughs> coming up later on the People Show here on Sportsnet 650 with Sat Randeep. So, yeah, I, I wasn't disrespecting Sandra. I, I just, one of those things where I was scrambling for the name. I, I thought I'd put an Eni on the end of it, but it's Sandra Prasina. And, yeah, it's going to be... Interesting for me to see the start of this hockey game, Raja, because does Canada have to weather the storm because the mighty U.S. comes out guns a-blazing? Or can Canada dictate things again and put a lot of doubt in the USA's minds by saying, hey, we're here with you. We're, we're going stride for stride and, and we're going to make your, your night difficult for you. 
Well, I like how Sandra Prasina uh, mentioned one thing in that last audio piece that we just heard, and that was the the Canadian transition game and how that's going to play uh, play a factor in in the in this contest tonight, as the United States don't have the deepest of blue lines that she's mentioned, and, and admittedly, I haven't watched a whole bunch of the United States games, but I have watched Team Canada play, and that transition and that speed factor is what has been very uh, scary for them if you're the opposition. And and that's where, you know, you mentioned Melody Doust go, going out there and, and playing factor with her speed. Renata Fast in that transition game. And we all know what Natalie Spooner can do as well. Those have been Canada's arguably their three best players. And they all rely on speed and transition. And just as Sandra Prasina mentioned, that's what's going to be the big uh, thing for Canada to be successful today. So uh, that's been their sort of bread and butter throughout this tournament. And, and obviously it'll make a, a big difference today as well for the Canadians. You're listening. To uh, Bick and the Boss, Craig McHugh and Raja Shergill here on Sportsnet 650. And yes, those familiar names are obviously super important for Canada, but it's the influx of youth and some excitement that, that I think has made a difference for Team Canada this time around. You know, listen, we have some great hockey players in this country on the women's game, and some of them aren't there because Team Canada decided to add some players that, you know, deserve a shot, add some players that can bring a different dimension to the game, add some players that, you know, have some moxie and uh, chutzpah, let's say, that perhaps they shouldn't have at the age they are, but they're really making a difference. And uh, that's the one thing that Sandra mentioned to Joey and Adam Forsyth this morning, Joey Kenward on Halford and Bruff, was that, those younger players are almost the straws now that are stirring the drink a little bit at this tournament. Yeah, I actually have to chuckle now that you mentioned that. Just where they have the media set up, it's right above the Canadian bench. And one of the plays late in that third period, Sarah Fillier, who's a rookie for the Canadians, took out Brianna Decker. And Brianna Decker got up, said a lot of words that I can't say to you right now. And Sarah Fillier just skated off with no care in the world. And I just love that mentality for the Canadians because they're not allowing, at least in that game, they didn't allow the Americans to get under their skin. The Americans seemed very frustrated with the fact that the Canadians didn't even seem phased. And I think that that's an essence of these rookies who have never really experienced this battle before. This is completely new to them. So they're almost a little bit naive. And I think that's working in the favor of the Canadians. So I think we see that tonight because the rookies have been integrated so well with all of the lines from one to four, even on the blue line. And I think we see that come to play again tonight. Will the Americans be able to break those that armor of the Canadians and that 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 mentality where Natalie Spooner was saying we're having fun she's playing on a line with a rookie like Sarah Fillier and I think Fillier is bringing out something really special in Natalie Spooner and Melody Dow who have looked like incredible incredible world breakers the Canadians they're boasting essentially two number one lines you've got the Poulin line and then you've got the Spooner line so I don't know if the Americans can break that down yeah, that's the question, Raja, is the bounce back. But bigger than that to me is, is this Canadian team deeper than what we've seen before? Have those two top lines that can play that way? And bottom line, too much to handle for Team USA. 
Yeah, and that's the thing, right? And and to your point, or, or to Sandra's point about having the young players just be so calm under pressure, that's a lot of uh, pressure on this team that they're just able to uh, just not really get away from, sorry, not really uh, paid too much attention to other than just the game itself, play between the whistles. And we saw that in the in the Switzerland contest as well with uh, Emily Clark getting into it with the, a player on the Swiss team and, and just being able to stay composed, stay calm after getting a hit and, and uh, face washed, I guess, after the whistle a little bit, but just giving a smile back and walking right back to the bench and, you know, just letting the score talk. And Canada has, has done that, as mentioned, that we just talked, that we just heard from Sandra talking about it in the uh, United States contest with Sarah Fillier, but also a very young player in Emily Clark doing it as well. And and that just tells me that this whole con- that this whole team is kind of on the same page, right? They stay calm under pressure. They just play between the whistles, and and they just are focused on getting this job done. Yeah, and in the Dunbar Lumber text inbox six fifty six fifty, it's Canada. Let's dictate the hockey game. The Americans, they suck. You, you do need to have that mentality, don't you, Raja, when you go into a championship uh, final, whether it's any sport. You have to have that mentality that we are going to dictate things. We're going to take every punch you can throw at us. We're going to, you know, play the way we want to play. And yes, you have to prepare for the opponent. Yes, you have to scheme and look at all that sort of stuff. But when you have an identity or a mindset or a mentality, you have to go in there with one th- thought in mind, and that's we have to win this and we have to dictate what we do, when we do it, and how we do it. Especially against the United States, right? Especially against a team that uh, you you don't like very often. It's like I mentioned, the rivalry aspect is, is huge in this, and getting back to being a, a championship caliber roster getting back to winning gold that all plays a part in this and team canada is going to be looking to to do it today and and also the fact that you know in in the last contest against uh, the united states in which they were dominant in canada was was without probably their best player in miri philippe poulin and and now you know to 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 get to get that big of a victory without poulin there that's also a confidence booster as well and and knowing the fact that your leader isn't there but you can still rely on everybody else on your team even with all the young players that you have to do that against your rival uh that says a lot to me c-mac and and it's right i like that texture as well it is canada they should dictate play they know what they're dealing with and they know their roster they know that they have uh, had some blunders in the past, but they can get past it if they just stick to their contest today. Yeah, and you mentioned Poulan, and, and let's end this conversation on another uh, great piece of insight from Sandra. As much as the young player is important, as much as you know, everyone needs to, to pull on the rope and go in the right direction, in these moments, these opportunities to strike for gold – that's where your leaders really come into play. And this is a fascinating matchup this evening between two of the game's very best, two players that know each other super well on both sides of the ice in Poulin and, and Knight. This, in my opinion, comes down to you know who leads and who follows the best. And, and Sandra was right on board with that sentiment. They played professionally together in Montreal with the CWHA or Canadian Women's Hockey League and And they have a lot of history, like you said, as friends and as teammates. But when it comes to Canada versus USA, they're no holds barred here. Marie-Philippe Poulin is feeling it. And that's no disrespect to Hillary Knight, who's had an awesome tournament. She's broken a bunch of records. She's passed Cami Granato in a couple of categories. So she's been great. But Marie-Philippe Poulin has been better. 
And I, I don't say that as a Canadian. Marie-Philippe Poulin is feeling it. Yesterday, she had her stick banging on the ice. She wanted the puck every second that she was on there. She is just, she's like a pit bull. She wants the puck and she wants to put it on goal. And I think that she wins that battle tonight. Yeah, let's hope so, Raja. And it also, in my opinion, will come down to goaltending. And the U.S. hasn't looked great. I mean, they they thump Japan, but give up a few goals on very few shots. And that could just be from lack of work, perhaps. They, they weren't tested. But in this tournament, that's the one area where I look at Team USA and think, hmm, maybe that's a weakness for them, something that Team Canada can exploit once again. Exactly. And, and look, Team Canada, Sandra Prasita mentioned it as well there that we're not going to be seeing the same goaltender that Canada, uh, sorry, that the United States played in their first contest against Canada. So that's obviously, and not only just their goaltending, just the blue line in general for the United States has, has kind of been a point of weakness. And, and that's where Canada can look to exploit with their speed, with their transition game. And, and with the with having Marie-Philippe Poulin back in their lineup, having that veteran presence, having your leader, we all know what that can do for a for a team. And and again, that confidence that they had in, in beating the, the United States earlier in this tournament, I think that's going to do uh, good things for Team Canada, or at least we can hope as Canadians. Yeah, we'll definitely see who's going to be the the better side in a, in a couple hours from now. Big matchup, Canada-USA, and we will uh, dive more into that tomorrow on Bick and the Boss when uh, Bick Nazar returns. Uh, but Raja Shurgel doing a great job here filling in uh, on uh, Bick and the Boss on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650, the uh, Dunbar-Lumber text inbox 650-650. C-Mac and Bryson DeChambeau sh- should go for dinner at Chuck E. Cheese. Two babies need playtime together, Mike and Victoria. Yeah, we, we kicked off this this segment with a little golf talk and how fans are now not allowed to chant Brooksy, Brooksy, Brooksy. Boy, oh boy, Raja, DeChambeau sure is a polarizing figure. I mean, what he's done to hit the ball a million miles is is something that really, really, um, you know, sells the game to people who just want to see that ball go long. But he kind of has this ability, I guess like I do, to rub people the wrong way, especially in the Dunbar Lumber text inbox. Yes, but with Bryson DeChambeau, I think uh, I think a lot of people. I don't know if a lot of people enjoy it, but personally, I enjoy it. Uh, getting from getting that from see, uh, getting that from Bryson DeChambeau because it's unlike anything I've ever heard, uh, anything I've ever seen in the world of golf. And and look to have him hit the ball as far as he does. That's great. That's good to watch. But at the end of the day, we saw how good of a job Patrick Cantley did at that BMW Championship with his putting. Putting better will always be uh, the the better play in golf than, than driving it uh, you know 370 yards or whatever uh, Bryson DeChambeau was able to do but at the same time the 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 rivalry aspect the natural heel aspect uh, of of Bryson that personality that some people don't like I think that's great for the game of golf and I think it's been a long time since we've seen a polarizing figure like that uh, in the world of golf so uh Personally, for me, C-Mac, I am a fan of Bryson, and I and I do wish that he can actually uh, win or win a few uh, few more tournaments, so we can see uh, you know that cockiness come out a little bit more. Yeah, and there's apparently a lot of fans of yours, Raj, in the Dunbar Lumber text inbox six fifty six fifty. This one here from a regular listener, C-Mac. Love hearing Raja on the air. He's great and fun to listen to. Uh, and uh, Marcus and Gibson's Raja, the super sub. C-Mac, 
do we care if we chant Bixie, Bixie at you with, with, with Bick? Yeah, listen, Raja, tell, well, Marcus, I don't think is a relative, but tell your other relatives to stop, you know, inundating the, the text inbox with, you know, the, the Raja's the best. We love Raja. He's great. Jamie Dodd tried that and it hasn't worked yet. So you know, it, it's not <laughs> I, a great I, strategy. I have heard Jamie Dodd's cousins come on the station and uh, and text into the station, I should say. But I, I can admit that none of these are my uh, are my family members. I don't think a lot of my family members listen to me on the air, C-Mac. Uh, but uh, when it comes to uh, chanting Bixie, Bixie at you, uh, hey, I think that would be great. You're all Let's in, go. eh? You're all, you're all, all in. in. All, all in. in. Uh, this one from Stewie from Richmond. Uh, C-Mac, if you would have kept quiet and didn't tell MDS to play his backups against Pacific FC, then he might still have a job. Yeah, I, I, I kind of ripped Joey Canmore when he was suggesting they were going to play their starters and how important it was. And, you know, unbeknownst to me, maybe Joey had some intel. Uh, DeSantos does that, and then the rest is is obviously history. He he doesn't have a job anymore. But um, Stewie, love the shout-out. Yeah, because of yeah. me. Yeah, it was all me. It had nothing to do with you know how they'd been playing and, and it, no. w- under uh, MDS, and and then they go to a Christmas tree formation, uh, and they get a big victory four one in their next game. And and Christmas tree formation in soccer talk is just uh, code word for parking the bus. But um, they 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 went forward. So uh, this one uh, in the Dunbar Lumber text inbox, Raja is just that good. He doesn't need family texting in. Love Raja's mom. No, it doesn't say the love Raj's mom. It does not. But uh, keep the uh, comments coming here on the uh, show. Uh, We will uh, talk a little bit more football after our next stoppage in play here on Bick and the Boss as uh, former NFLer Lorenzo Neal, who's the lead NFL host for a radio station in San Fran, will stop by and we'll kick a few things around with Lorenzo. Obviously, the quarterback situation in the National Football League is intriguing, and things really got off to a, a, a frantic start this morning when Cam Newton was shown the door by Bill Belichick. But we'll also see what Lorenzo thinks, what's going on in San Fran. Uh, Jimmy G, is he going to be in a rotation this year, or does he actually get the starting job with a few gadget or, or packages uh, for the young rookie there? That is... And uh, a little bit more before we toss it over to the People Show here on your home in the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. You're listening to Bick and the Boss on Sportsnet 650. Final stretch here at Bick and the Boss. Roger Shergill, Craig McEwen. Lots of hockey discussion, and uh, we did have a, a great football convo. Um Earlier on the show, Raja, and, and, and the biggest news this morning was was obviously waking up to find out that, that Cam Newton was no longer part of the New England Patriots. It, it shocked me in reality. I, I didn't think that this the, was the way things were going to go, but when hearing of that, it was one of those moments where you went, oh man, that, that that's massive news. Completely, right? It, it is massive news, obviously, from, from the on-field perspective as well, and Look, a lot of people liked the way that Mac Jones had played for the preseason, uh, sorry, in the preseason for the New England Patriots. But uh, I think a lot of this, and, and we'll talk to Lorenzo Neal coming up in a few minutes as well, and we'll get his perspective on it. But I think I do think a lot of this has to do with the unvaccinated status 
of Cam Newton and how that's going to impact uh, the Patriots. And, and uh, you know, we, we know the mandate that the NFL has set out for their players. So that kind of made their decision a little bit easier, I think, uh, to, to go with Mac Jones. And so we will see uh, Jones taking on uh, the Miami Dolphins in week one for, for, the, for the Pats. Yeah, and as training camp went along with the Patriots, Cam played very sparingly in the last game with the starters. And then, you know, Jones comes in and, and plays quite a bit with the, the number twos or threes or whatever and does well. And and listen, here's a, a kid who's been slowly getting better through camp. Some of the Patriots obviously think highly of. It's just interesting to me in a division where, you know, the Bills are, are trying to separate themselves. The Dolphins are, are pretty good. The Jets, well, who knows? But that the Patriots are going this way with a young quarterback, it must says a lot, say a lot about where he's at, that Belichick is ready to, you know, turn the keys to the car over to this kid because in the simple fact with Brady winning a Super Bowl last year, you know that Belichick wants to get back there and try to do it and prove to everyone that he can do this without Tom. But I'm really surprised that he thinks that it's the youngster and, and not Cam Newton that will help him get there. Well, and you know what, as much as Mac Jones didn't really start in many games or as many games that uh, Cam Newton started in, that being said, he still played more snaps than Cam Newton. And to your point, it was with the, the second and third stringers on that roster. However, uh, he still got to see what he can do on the gridiron for the Patriots. And, and also, see Mac, from a lot of reports of, of people that cover the National Football League, there's going to be a lot of rookie quarterbacks in the NFL this year. And Mac Jones uh, has that potential to be the best player or best quarterback out of all of the rookies. And a lot of people have already said that he he has been performing like the best uh, quarterback amongst the rookies. So uh, perhaps there is something that uh, Bill Belichick sees more than you and I, uh, but I do think it's an interesting decision and it's uh, it's going to be something that the Patriots fans are, are obviously looking forward to as well uh, with, with last year not going uh, in their favor. Yeah, and one of the other interesting battles for me is what's going to happen in San Francisco. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo is... You know, he's the guy that they, they went out and got and almost won a Super Bowl with. Terrible year last year for injuries, but he, he wasn't that great. Then you get this youngster, uh, Trey Lance, coming in, who the Niners are, are really high on. And again, you look at where your team is in its cycle. The, the 49ers are Super Bowl contenders, assuming they can stay healthy this year, which they didn't last year. But it seems to me that... Uh, Mr. Shanahan down there in, in San Fran is toying with the idea of, you know, not only having a, a, a couple packages for Lance, but Kyle Shanahan, I wouldn't be surprised, Raja, if he decided he wanted to try to use the two of them in some way, shape, or form in a super competitive division with great defenses and great teams. And you have to think that that would be a complete matchup nightmare for the opposition because you're like, okay, we're preparing for Garoppolo and all of a sudden the kid comes in and starts running something that we haven't seen or we don't know is coming. That, to me, is a smart strategy and, and probably why uh, Kyle Shanahan isn't tipping his hand as to exactly what he's going to do here because he still has a few weeks before week number one. 
He does have a few weeks before week number one, and it'll be interesting to see how Trey Lance recovers because he is dealing with a little bit of an injury. Not going to set him back too much, but is there potential to see Jimmy G in week one entirely without seeing any Trey Lance? The the thing for me where where Trey Lance really needs to show, or sorry, that really needs to happen in order for Trey Lance to be successful and, and for that two-quarterback system to be successful with the San Francisco 49ers is if Trey Lance can show that he is going to be uh, calm in the pocket, be able to make good plays, because if he's out there and he's simply there for an option play where he's just going to run the ball, um, then I think teams are going to pick up on that very quickly. But he needs to be able to have a legitimate threat in getting the ball downfield in the air so teams won't necessarily know what to expect. Because what did we see last year out of the New Orleans Saints? Anytime Taysom Hill got under center, it was just to make a run to the uh, just to make a run to the right or a run to the left just pretty much an option play and teams had already prepared for that because we didn't see a whole lot of uh, throwing from Taysom Hill so I do think that they need to approach it in a different way and make sure that Trey Lance comes across as a legitimate threat in the air as well yeah the Niners are one of those frustrating teams with their running backs they have that committee could they have a quarterback committee perhaps I mean the last preseason game against the Raiders they they basically traded first team reps and that to me looks like either Kyle Shanahan doesn't know what he wants to do yet. He wanted to see a little bit more. Kyle Shanahan is toying with the idea of a two-headed monster. But with Garoppolo under center, the Niners are a solid playoff contender. But here's the thing, Raja. I, I believe that if Lance can get up to speed quickly, the ceiling is higher there. Uh, he, though, is still quite young. And we mentioned it with Paul Glant from Seattle uh, Sports Radio when we talked about, you know, quarterback situation with Mac Jones that, you know, it wasn't so long ago that Russell Wilson unseated a veteran, uh, became the starter and, and very quickly took his team to a Super Bowl. The thought in San Fran and the Bay Area is that Lance has the same capabilities to do that and, and at times looks really s- smooth. I just don't know if you want to put that much pressure on a youngster, which is why this idea of toying with a uh, – two-headed quarterback platoon or or switching it up maybe in the same drive maybe rotating series again you you know how football teams love to prepare and, and go after it but well if you're having to prepare your defense for two different quarterbacks that that's a lot of time energy and effort spent worrying about that sort of stuff which could open up opportunities for the Niners because I mean let's be honest look at that division you know the Rams are are, are better in my opinion with Matt Stafford the uh, Cardinals their defense, J.J. Watt. The, the, Kyler Murray got hurt late in the year, but if he stays healthy, we saw how dangerous he was. Russell Wilson and the Seahawks, yeah, they have a new offensive coordinator. Yeah, we're worried about what Dwayne Brown is going to do when you support the Seahawks, but they're good. that division is so loaded and so tough that the Niners gaining any type of advantage, and it kills me to say this, and I know Scott Rintel is the biggest Niners fan in the world, that could be the difference between, again, you know, being a playoff team, winning your division, and or going a lot further when it comes to that Super Bowl chase. Yeah, and I, I, I agree with what you said about Trey Lance having the higher ceiling because I'll be honest with you, C-Mac, I am not a big fan of Jimmy Garoppolo, and I don't, I don't believe that. And, and as much as Jimmy Garoppolo did 
help, and I put the emphasis on the world, help take the San Francisco 49ers to the Super Bowl a couple of years ago, I do think it was that defense, and I do think it was a lot of that running game that helped the 49ers get there. Jimmy Garoppolo, to me, was just a smoke on the wheel, and, and sure, he made some nice plays, but I don't believe in Jimmy Garoppolo long-term, and so for Trey Lance to get in there and, and make the kinds of plays that he has the potential to make, and like I said, he still needs to show that he can be a legitimate pocket passer and, and be a threat uh, in the air as well, not just being the mobile guy that he is, but if he can show that and, and get in there and, and have those types of uh, seasons that I guess that we've seen from other young quarterbacks around the National Football League, then I do believe that San Francisco 49ers are, are, are a great or a legitimate threat. And, and listen, they are anyways, because last year it was completely injury riddled for them. They, they were missing their entire defense, it seemed. Uh, George Kittle was out as well, and, and it was a, a tough situation for that Niners offense, uh, sorry, for that Niners team in general. Uh, so to have the player and, and Trey Lance and, and, and Jimmy G as well being there and trading uh, trading drives or, or trading plays, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Uh, but I think in the long term, in order for this team to be successful, it's got to be Trey Lance's offense. You're listening to Bick and the Boss here on Sportsnet 650. Craig McEwen and Raja Shergill. Uh, Raja filling in for Bick, who will be back tomorrow. And you know what? Enough of this NFL talk already, Raja. Let's talk some baseball here on the show. Uh, the Blue Jays, four and a half back in the wild card, have the Orioles. You know, hope springs eternal. Can the Jays muster something here, get on a roll? and make this really interesting down the stretch in your opinion well that's the that's the hope right see matt but we talked about this a little bit yesterday it's going to be tough it's going to be tough to do so to make up that much ground and, and they get a they get a victory yesterday uh over the baltimore orioles and and today hinjin rayu is gonna take to the mound for toronto and and they'll try to carry some of that momentum over and, and come away with another win and uh, listen, they're they're getting some of their their pieces back. We know George Springer is obviously uh, activated again. He played yesterday, and and Danny Jansen as well. Uh, Danny Jansen also getting set to return too shortly. And so the the opportunity, the potential, and and how interesting and entertaining the games are going to be down the stretch. It's going to be great to watch, but uh, in order for them to make it is, is still a, a tall task, and, and I'm not necessarily sure if they can get there. Yeah, and uh, some Jays news today. They designate Brad Hand for assignment, and we'll bring in Greg Ballack, our, our resident uh, baseball expert, uh, Toronto Blue Jays uh, fan, aficionado, insider. Okay, enough already. John Olderud. Uh... Yeah, John Olderud comparisons yeah. by Scott Rintoul. <laughs> This hand deal <laughs> might be one that the, the, the Jays kind of rue, especially if they get within a couple of games at the end of the year and, and fall, you know, two, two and a half short. It might go down as one of the worst trades in Blue Jays history. Just when you look at the, the negative impact that Brad Hand had to this organization since he's come aboard. And not to say that he's been a bad pitcher or has had a bad career because he hasn't. He's been a pretty solid pitcher, but his Jays portion of his career towards the uh, the latter half year has been horrible, to say the least. Uh, he had that four-pitch walk in uh, Seattle, which I'm sure a lot of Mariners fans probably remember that, the, the walk-off walk. That was Brad Hand. Uh, he also had a game where he gave up two homers 
in one game to, to get the loss. He also had a game in which he gave up three runs in extra innings to Cleveland. To lo- So you look at all these impacts, games that he's been involved in, you could easily say if the Jays don't pull the trigger on that deal, they're easily two games closer to a playoff spot than they are right now. And that's horrible. And they gave up Riley Adams for it too, a, a, an emerging catching prospect. So it's a it's a tough one to swallow for Jays fans. Yeah, and, and I guess that's when... You know, you look at this, Raja, and you're a ball club and you go all in. And by all in, you start moving some pieces to improve yourself because you're like, hey, we got a shot here. And fans love to see teams go for it, push for the playoffs. The Jays go north of the border, have a great series in their return to Canada, and you think, yeah, wow, they've got some momentum here. It's too bad for them. The Yankees took off and, and were so good, although they're slipping at the moment. So that that's the thing here is that – Things in baseball are very cyclical. Your pitching can come and go. Your hitting can come and go. If the Jays can get on a bit of a streak here and put the pressure on, and, you know, the Mariners are right still in there, the A's just ahead of both these clubs, like that to me, again, it's a a hope. It's probably going to be a miracle if they come all the way back. But bottom line, until you win the games that you have, in front of you, you can't count your chickens. And in the Jays' case, they can maybe be a little looser. Yeah, there's pressure because they want to stay in the, the race. But when people are saying, hey, you got no shot, sometimes it's the best time to have a shot because your ball club uh, rallies around that and, and does some pretty incredible things. Well, exactly, and and we talked about uh, the fact that their arms were, were part of the big were part of the problem uh, in, for most of the season, and then their bats weren't really working for the last couple of weeks. But it was kind of a revival yesterday, right, with with Vladdy, Vladdy Guerrero and and the fact that this team was was looking good back offensively again. Granted, against the the Orioles team, C Mac, but at the same time, you're right. Like this is going to be uh, a hell of a, a hell of a stretch down the run here, down the run here, and. and We'll see what what the Toronto Blue Jays can do, but with with these players coming back, getting a little bit healthier, uh, and the schedule that they have in front of them, I do think that uh, the Blue Jays, who who looked better offensively yesterday, can can still make a. I don't know if it's going to be a, a run that's going to be something that's for sure going to get them to the playoffs, but at least uh, make it competitive down the stretch. Yeah, Greg, will they make it interesting? They will, and and you, Roger, you touched on a good point, the schedule coming up, and you look at I got it in front of me here. Uh, they finish off against the O's here. Then it's the Athletics, who are another team that's in the hunt, so a team you need to beat. Then a four-gamer against the Yankees. They actually have seven games against the Yankees remaining, so that's a lot of, a lot of ground you can make up if you have a solid seven games against them. Then another series against the Orioles, which you could easily clean up, a four-gamer. Then they got the Rays, which is a tough one. I don't know what to expect from that series. And then they have the Twins uh, two times as well, which they're not a great team this year. They sold off a lot of their pieces. The Jays got one of them in Barrios. It's a pretty simple schedule for the Jays down the stretch with a couple teams mixed in that they're trailing. So it's it, it could get very interesting as we wind down the season. Yeah, and the one thing I really like is the return of Springer. Springer, to me, is such a catalyst for them. It would hurt to begin the year, comes back looking good, gets gets hurt again. But the fact that he's been able to come back into the lineup and, and swing a bat for them, it just, you know, we talked about matchups for the 49ers and football and defenses are preparing. When you have to worry, Raja, about a George Springer in your lineup, that that's an important piece and someone that the opposing pitchers, managers, defensive are, are worried about when you see him at the dish. It's intimidating. 
have him have him be at the dish and and like i mentioned not a, it, for a long time it wasn't only him it was uh well he was injured for a long time but it was the entire blue jays offense right and and now we're starting to see that revival again as i just mentioned um, this is going to be a team that uh, like with with vladimir guerrero jr being on the streak he's on currently i think he's on an eight game hit streak i believe and being able to continue that offense it means a lot for toronto and and down the stretch with all these healthy players with all these players coming back and, and being activated uh, it means a lot for toronto who continue this push in the american league yeah and, and it was the springer of old i was you know shocked to see him sliding into second base like he comes in what he says he knows his body he he understands where he's at and, and bottom line when it comes to leadership uh, this is a guy that says hey i don't want to sit on the bench i want to i want to help my team they they have struggled uh, before last night, so mightily with runners in scoring position, going 14 for 107 uh, in their past 12 games. They had their opportunities. They had their chances. So that tells me that if things can click, Greg, and the, and the bats get going here a little bit and they continue to put guys in scoring position, that they might definitely find a way to at least – as we said before, make things interesting down the stretch. Yeah, and he didn't ease back into the lineup, as you said, C-Mac. He pulled off a double steal with, with Dyson at second and third. So, yeah, he jumped right back in with both feet, which is exciting to see because you want to make sure he's healthy first and foremost uh, going forward. He's got a big, long contract that he's got to live up to. Uh, but, yeah, having him in the lineup allows them to do so many more things with that lineup and allow Vladdy to sit in a position where he can drive in more runs. And that's really what it all comes down to. Vladdy is the catalyst, but you need guys like Springer. You need those those pieces in the lineup healthy in order to make a comeback. If, they're, if, they're, if there is any chance that they're going to come back in this playoff race, it's with Springer in the lineup. Now, uh, Raja, you you like Josh Elliott Wolf, who stole my parking space earlier. Let's not uh-huh. Let's not rehash that. I was a little triggered. I know Josh won't do it tomorrow, or perhaps he will. Uh, you're doing double duty producing the uh, People Show as well, helping out there. Um, let's uh, let's tee that up. What do, what do we got coming up with uh, Sat, Dan, and Randeep? Uh, moments from now here on Sports at 650. Uh, C-Mac, uh, they will be speaking with uh, Emily Sadler of sportsnet.ca to tee up the Canada versus United States gold medal contest as well as we talked about a little bit earlier on. Uh, also, uh, a chat with Michael Doyle, president of Vancouver Canucks Sports and Entertainment. They'll discuss uh, the possibility of fans returning back to the stands in Rogers Arena. Everybody hoping that we can do that safely as possible. And also, uh, Mark Schofield. Touchdown Wire USA Today to talk about the National Football League, of course, as we get set for week one coming up uh, in about a week here uh, to, to kick off the NFL season. So lots going on on the People's Show. So you've been sitting on this Michael Doyle thing forever, eh? Like, like you listen to me rant and rave about the parking spot and all that sort of stuff. You should have led with the Michael Doyle stuff. That's that's big news. He's the new man in charge for the Canucks. I, I can't wait to hear what he says. Like. Raja, if I can give you a little bit of advice here on the air, and, and Greg, take notes as well, that uh, you know when you, when you have such a big Canucks heavy hitter on, like we, we should have been promoting that all show, our, our listeners, putting it out on the Dunbar-Lumber text inbox, 650-650, so people stop ripping me about the parking fiasco and, and, and start hearing about Michael Doyle. 
yeah, no, I mean, perhaps I perhaps I should have, but also, uh, you, you know what? It, it's a good time for a tease right now. See, Mac, ten minutes before the show, uh, he's going to be coming on, and I think everybody's excited about uh, having the possibility of going back into Rogers Arena and watching the hockey game. So, uh, I think this is a good time to do it. No, Let, let's pull back the curtain here. You're not actually producing the pizza show. <laughs> I've just been made aware by Art Factora, who's not really producing this show either, uh, that you are not doing double duty today. So I've been giving you props. You've been taking it. You, you took it like a champ. See, uh, this that's... is it. If, if Josh Elliott Wolf is still listening, this is Raja taking one for the team. The boss, once again, didn't know what he was talking about, saying you were working a show. You took the credit. Okay, good on you, because now the boss thinks you're doing that. But then you owned up in, the, in a text message and say, hey, I'm actually not producing that show. It's uh, Cam Barra, who's producing that show is Very that true. is that accurate uh, uh- that's accurate. I am not producing the People Show. However, what is inaccurate is that I am actually doing double duty. You can hear me on uh, News 1130 on Sports and 650 a little bit later on today doing sports updates. Uh, so uh, You're a triple threat. You're like Ian McIntyre. You're not quite a quadruple <laughs> yet, but you're a triple threat. No wonder you're loved so much in the uh, Dunbar Lumber text inbox 650-650. This one just in. It's only a fiasco because you made a fiasco, C-Mac. That's true. I, I did make um, a big deal of the fact that Josh stole my parking spot today, and, and hopefully he doesn't make that um, mistake tomorrow. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I hope you gave him a strongly worded message. I strongly did. Didn't you email. hear this show? Were you sleeping yeah. through the last two hours? Well, I, mean, I was well, hopefully, well, hopefully he was able to, you know, get it through his head to not park in, in the boss's spot tomorrow, and, and you'll have a, a proper spot to park in. Or, or, you know what, Bick's also going to be in as well. So, uh, you know, you might have a, a little bit of extra people trying to challenge for that spot. Because, C-Mac, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I've been coming in throughout this pandemic. It's been a very popular uh, uh, real estate here at the Sports at 650 parking garage. Everyone wants to be the boss. And speaking of bosses, we're going to hear from the Canucks new boss on the People Show Nets with Dan, Sat, and Randeep. You've been listening to the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.